Petersfield's Shine Radio. It feels like a different lifetime ago, but I was a dog trainer and animal behaviourist before I became a school teacher. When it became obvious that an assistance dog would work well for my son, I approached the charities that were at that time training assistance dogs and, um, and we weren't able to, to get one at the time. For very good reasons, I mean, you know, there just aren't enough dogs to go around. It turns out that hundreds of people uh, would benefit from an assistance dog. Any one of the charities could only really do a handful of dogs in that sense every year. So uh, we only trained our first dog for my son. And um, so many people came and said, where did you get your dog? We're desperate for an autism assistance dog. We can't get one anywhere. And I sort of said, well... I sort of, this was a bit of a DIY job. And I didn't even know at the time that you could own a trainer dogs, but it's actually, that there's a huge owner trainer population out there. It's, it's perfectly sort of legal and possible to train your own assistance dog, but obviously it does take doing, you know, dogs don't train themselves. And you had a head start being an yes. animal behaviourist and a dog trainer. That's right. Because it probably wouldn't have occurred to yes. many people yeah. that it was something they could do. Uh, exactly. I realised that actually this was something that, that I might be able to do, that I had the skill set for. At the time, I was working as an autism specialist teacher in, in school. I'd gone into special education. I was working with um, sort of 14 to 16-year-olds uh, running an autism class in a special school. Um, and I was also running a school dog program. So that synergy was wow, was there. Perfect. Um, and so it didn't start out as a charity, I, it started out because I kind of looked into setting up a charity. I thought, golly, that's all a bit complicated. Right. OK. Well, what we can do is we can uh, do uh, we can train assistance dogs and sell them to people because there were going to be people out there who will be able to pay for an assistance dog. So we can do that. So we did that. And then we also started helping people train their own dogs as well. Very, very quickly. I mean, we did a couple of dogs, literally. Um, and then there were two or three dogs who didn't actually uh, make the grade. And I kind of thought, you know, firstly, this isn't a business model that's workable um, in a way. Uh, even as, from a break-even point of view, never mind profitability um, in, uh, at that time. And, and also, I hated the I just didn't like selling dogs to people for thousands mm. of pounds. It just didn't sit right with me. And I thought, well, this, this part of it, the, the, the fully trained assistance dog part of it, has to become a charity. So I then set up Dogs for Autism. I suppose it took about six months of uh, working with the Charity Commission to make sure that we had all our ducks in a row from the point of view of setting up a charity. And um, I'd started off two or three dogs sort of myself, um, knowing that I was setting the charity up. You know, we had a little bit of a head start there. Yeah, so, so, so I started the charity and, and gosh, here we are. Sort of we're in our third year now. So it's only three years old. Yes. Well, yes. you've come a long way so yeah. far. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's quite funny. I mean, I just sort of, uh, we, we, we had to hit the ground running because I bought quite a lot of dogs because <laughs> so many people needed help. It was very, very hard to, to make the transition between trying to help everybody and actually being able to say, I'm sorry, we can't help everybody. I understood that the other charities who are, um, who, who also train um, other types of assistance dogs, so disability dogs or um, uh, diabetic alert dogs, epilepsy alert dogs, medical you know, assistance and dogs. medical assistance mm -hmm. dogs, um, 
autism, autism assistance dogs were just one type of dog that they trained. And so I set up a charity that was, was going to only deal with autism so that we could help take some of that pressure off. And presumably, while the general role of assistance dogs is well understood, we saw Daisy let herself out of your doors <laughs> yes. a second or two ago. <laughs> but although there are things like picking things up and those sorts of things, yes. autistic people operate differently from neurotypical people, but autistic people, I'm guessing, vary enormously. So yes. we're in a highly individual, customised yeah. situation, aren't we? In a sense, yes. So absolutely, and every one of our dogs is bespoke, but there, there, there is a range of the types of things that our dogs can do to help people. So um, autistic people, you know, you can put one autistic person next, next to another one and they present completely differently, but they will share common features. And it, it's those features that make um, living in a neurotypical world quite challenging for an autistic person. Things like um, sensitivities, uh, and, and it might be to the, the one, physical world. Yes, sensitivities of the physical world. One person might not be able to wear socks with seams in them; might not be able to bear them. Another person might not be able to bear the, the noise of a screaming baby. But those are sensitivities related to autism. There's um, uh, social interaction and managing social interaction, which can be difficult, but can present differently for different people. There is um, communication and processing of information. So we can have someone like my son who cannot actually have a conversation um, with someone to someone who actually is um, highly articulate. But what you don't understand is that their processing of what you're saying to them can be an issue for them. We have young people we work with and you wouldn't dream that they have difficulty processing what you're saying but what they're struggling with is they're listening to a whole string of information and they're struggling to pick out the important parts of that so what they're doing is they're trying to process all of it so they become exhausted so yeah so even and though there's no external sign for anyone else no to pick up on and what's happening with a lot of um of, of what we we a lot of autistic uh, people who, who, who live without a learning disability and who are living in a mainstream world, if you like, um, is that they're having to mask all of that during the day in order to present themselves um, in, a, in, a, yeah, in a conforming way. And that is utterly exhausting and can lead to very high anxiety. And, you know, so actually, even though, even though autism affects people differently, there's a lot of shared uh, features. So what our dogs can do, there's a, a range of tasks that they can do for um, for children and particularly children who are quite emotionally dysregulated and who run away a lot. And, you know, so they can, they, there's the safety aspect. And then there is um, also support that they can give to young people who are, who are wanting to be independent. So, for instance, uh, a teenager wants to go shopping with her friends, but if she goes into Primark... Um, and finds the whole thing just too overwhelming, she she may feel trapped and unable to escape. And how awful as a teenager to have a meltdown in the middle of you know a shop with all your mates. Okay, so you, they don't go because it's safer. Just not they've learned that it's safer not to go. But what they can what we can teach our dogs to do is to remove them from that environment. So you know basically upon a cue so if the person's starting to feel overwhelmed they can say to their dog get me out of here or whatever the cue is going to be and the dog will take them out of the door that they came in at because what our autistic partners will tell you is that i can get in the shop but i can't get out 
Because the brain's too busy being overstimulating and yes, yeah. absolutely. So that kind of um, and and that floating head feeling starts yeah. where I don't know where my feet are, I don't know where I am in time and space. My proprioceptive system is all over the place, which is another very common feature that every, a lot of autistic people share. So the kind of tasks our dogs do are so we have find the door. They all learn deep pressure therapy, and for. For many people, that's just sitting on the floor and having the dog lie over their lap wherever they are. Um, It's not the same as your dog lying on you when you're watching the telly. This is a cued behaviour that they do anywhere, whatever's going on around them, alerting to to emotional dysregulation, which comes with time. But we also have interrupting behaviours, which we can train sort of immediately. Um, Things like there are behaviours that people will do... um, that they don't recognise that they're doing themselves. So a parent will turn around and say to a young person, you know, you're cracking your fingers or you're wringing your hands or you're flapping or, you know, and the young person, or you're rocking and the young person isn't aware that they're doing it, but the dog can tell them. Okay. And you don't, and you sidestep all of the parental teenager confrontation that goes. Absolutely. (laughs) And so we're helping to, to, to support that desperate wish for independence and help take away the fear of trying to find it um with the dog you know some some people ask me sometimes well will that person always need a dog and the answer is well actually possibly they might always need it some people might not some people might be able to learn the strategies that they need whilst the dog is there helping them and they might not need a successor dog as we call them one dog might be enough but for other people they'll need a dog throughout their lives um but, you know, the need is great. And without the dog, they'll live in their bedroom and they won't come out. And that becomes a very entrenched behaviour. It's, it's surrounded with, with lots of anxiety and, and, and social anxiety. So um, so that so the dogs do that. They they also do what we call the tummy lead work, where um, they, they are uh, young people are connected via a special, specially designed and elasticated harness we do a lot of training around the task work because it's not just about the dog opening a door or picking something up and giving it to them or taking something off a shelf it's about the dog um working with the autistic partner to help re-regulate them in some way so if it's a child who bolts we don't just want them walking off into the sunset with a with, with a child connected to the dog we have to train the parents what to do because we have to make sure that the dog, the dog is safe and that the dog is happy in its work. Mm. If the dog anchors because the tummy lead's gone tight and it feels the tension on the tummy lead and the dog anchors either in a sit or, or a down or even a stand, that the parent responds to that by immediately sort of getting hold of the bungee lead with the child attached and dealing with the situation. It's not about dogs wandering around with children sort of hanging off them. Mm. It's about giving the, the parents the ability to go out safely with a set of strategies and the dog's there to, to help that. It's kind of, it's taking out some of the risk, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. There must be ever so many things that families or parents of an autistic child Hmm. think twice about doing because of the risk of meltdown and the dog and the presence of the dog is is taking that risk down isn't it and making things possible and presumably by de-risking what Mm -hmm. to a neurotypical family is not even to be thought about yes yes you're actually calming everyone down and paradoxically making them able to do more absolutely 
And I think, you know, our experience is that a lot of families who have an, an autistic member of the family will, they have to go out in teams. You know, they don't go out as a group because so often it ends up with them all having to come home again. So you, so, so what we're trying to do is glue that, that family back together, if you like, as, as part of the work that we do. The other thing as well about autism is, it, you know, autistic children, if you like, don't come with a manual. And because our whole focus is autism, we carry a lot of expertise within the charity. So we can help parents a lot as well. We can see situations where a little bit of knowledge and help helping the parents and training the parents away from the dog to do with dealing with 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 the child and their needs can, can be really helpful in itself as well. So we're there to support the whole family. It's not just I mean, principally, we train assistance dogs. But actually, there's a whole pastoral element that comes into it as well in our role um, uh, so that we can help the whole picture. Do you stay involved and very much in touch um, with the dogs and the families once you've placed? Absolutely. Absolutely. So the dogs are trained. So we have two distinct um, categories uh, within the charity. So we have the training team um, that take the dog up to uh, handover, if you like. And then because that and that can have a lot to do with the family. Um, and then we have the 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 uh, sort of lifelong partnership team who then look after the dog and the family once the dog's been placed. Mm. Now, our autism liaison team work all the way through um, with the families um, and uh, are there to to sort of help the families navigate uh, any issues, if you like, to do with the autism side mm. of things. And um, and our trainers, once the dog has actually been placed with the family, our, our trainers uh, see the family on a, a regular basis, which actually tapers off and, and, and becomes once they have a once every six month checkup. But it, the whole process is, is, is designed to be quite organic, actually. And that we don't we don't have a we don't train a dog and then look at the dog once it's trained and think, well, who can we place this dog with and then do a fairly short handover what we is it's a much more elongated process where the dog lives whether it's a dog or whether it's a puppy it lives close to the family and the trainer lives close to the family and there's a lot of um with 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 our older families where um our older recipients who may be completely independent or maybe still living at home that can be a shorter period of time we might take an older dog and work with them over two or three months to, to go from the dog living with the trainer to the dog living with the family, but with a with a where you've got a family with a with a small child, we will actually start a puppy off in a in a trainer or a, a, a sort of puppy walker situation, and we'll have that dog visiting the family every single week. Because I'm guessing that with a client on the younger side and a dog on the younger side, there's an enormous amount of development going on yes. over quite a short truncated mm. period of time. So there's a lot. Of yes. moving parts, aren't yes, there? there are. As well as being able to support the the um, autistic people who are trying to get out there and live an independent life, we also want to support the families who are living with children with very special needs, who may have a lot of comorbidity, including learning disability, other um, other disabilities that come along with the autism. And in those scenarios, what we find is that if we if the dog almost grows up with the family, 
then as far as they're concerned, they learn their job and they learn that that young person in that family is their job. Because, of course, if you put a dog into a family situation, the dog is going to, because it's a dog, is going to bond with the most rewarding element of that family. And where you've got an autistic individual in the family, they might not naturally be the most the most natural choice for the dog so we have to teach that and we don't want to place a dog in a family until we know that that dog knows who their bonded person is so we have what we call family bonding visits and these um so that the, the dog lives either with a trainer or with a, a puppy walker foster family nearby and those bonding visits take place with the trainer every single week and as as we get closer to the point of handover Maybe two or three times a week, the dog stays for an afternoon, the dog stays for an overnight, because it's quite intense for the families, because we're saying to the families, look, the dog's coming to stay with you for the afternoon, but what we don't want is the autistic child sitting on their, their, their iPad all afternoon and other children in the garden playing ball with the dog, because who are the do- who's the dog going to want to be with? So actually, we have to train the dog with lots and lots of repetition, that the most rewarding place to be is sitting at the foot of the child with the iPad. That's the most rewarding place to be. So the dog really knows the job. I mean, it it sounds an incredibly holistic approach. The young person needs to be interested in the dog, though. Yes. Yes, they do. Um, They do, you know, we... we, (laughs) I'm, I'm, I'm sort of laughing. I set up Dogs for Autism because as as a wholly wholly focused on autism charity because I wanted to help address the problem that people just can't get a, a trained assistance dog because there aren't enough around and you know we're able to train eight dogs this year um maybe eight That's to good. ten dogs which is great but uh we had a family information session by zoom for people who were interested in applying for a dog 325 families came and we've, and now is that, that, we've had 150 full applications. Is that a latent, a latent need that's always been there? Or do you think that lockdown and the extraordinary last 18 months and dog ownership exploding mm. in the UK, and I'm imagining mm. everywhere, but mm. do you think that's made a difference? Or do you think that's been there all along? Because hearing you talk about the extraordinary transformative impact... Mm of Daisy and her predecessor on, on Marcus and your mm. family life. Mm. I mean, the benefit to families who have a half caring role or supervisory role all the time, would it, I mean, it's enormous, isn't it? Yes. I, but if there's never been a solution to that or not a canine mm, solution mm. or help. I, I think, you know, there's no one, there's no one reason why... Uh, this is the situation. I think the publicity of autism assistance dogs and the fact that people are finding out that there are, that they such are, things exist such things exist is is part of it. I think you know um, we are now candidate members of Assistance Dogs UK, which means that we're able to um, talk to the other AD UK member organisations who train assistance uh, autism assistance dogs, and you know that everybody's in the same boat and but and has been for a number of years, which of course is why waiting lists have been closed. You know you don't want to give false hope to people. Um, I think that 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 there's no doubt that that. Covid has had an impact because I think that um, 
but you you know you'll hear quite a lot of people say that that lockdown was great for autist for some autistic people because it meant they didn't have to go out you know actually they were told they had to stay at home mm. which 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 was great the difficulty is now that covid's ending all the anxieties around well I can't go out because I might catch covid and I might die and you know mm. and and um the transition back into Hard. actually you do go to school every day you do leave the house every day um is is harder so so I'm sure that that has definitely had an impact but just coming back to the question you asked about you know does the dog ha- does the child have to like the dog you know we have so many applications and we have to make sure that we're working we're working smart with the number of dogs we have so we you know we have to make sure that the dog really is going to be of a benefit to that person because sometimes of course and this is why we run family information days before people are allowed to apply for a dog parents think that the dog might be a magic solution but nobody's asked the child if they know um and and one of the first things we ask a parent is is is, so does your child like dogs and amazingly even after going through the whole application process which has been described as being being as bad as a disability living allowance form and i really hope it's not quite that that (laughs) difficult but you know they've gone through the whole process and then at the end of it well does your child like dogs well you know they kind of do i think it's so hard parents are looking for solutions you know and looking for solutions and i think um for and, and for young people who who want a dog to help them get out and be independent you know the realities of having a dog we know what benefits a dog can bring that's um you know that's well documented what is is you know what what we have to try and help people understand is that dogs also roll in fox poo need walking when the when it's tipping down with rain uh, they bark as we can hear maybe in the background <laughs> you know which you know for a noise sensitive autistic person we cannot do them a non-barking dog you know it doesn't exist mm. And these are the things we have to try and find out before we start work, because the last thing we want to do is start working with a family or with a or with an independent person and have to withdraw. Mm-hmm. We want to make sure before we start work that these things. Okay. Have, have, have. So we take dogs with us to our we go and we interview families uh, before we accept them. And we take dogs with us and the whole family has to show us how they might handle a dog. Um, that's usually quite a lot of fun. Um, and, and we want to see what the how, how the autistic person relates to the dog, um, and you know what what we don't really want to do is take a dog into a, a house and have the autistic child hiding behind the sofa. Mm. But but we also understand that actually just our presence in the house might make that happen, mm. and actually this might be a child who who um, loves dogs but just doesn't want us in the house. So we you know we've got we're very sensitive to that. We know we, we kind of know what we're doing. Of course, as a young charity, starting out without a rule book, we have made mistakes. Mm. And we have had those situations where actually we found that really, actually, the dog isn't that much help because the young person doesn't really want it. Mm. So, you know, it is a good point. But it's interesting because you're going to be fully fledged part of the assistance dog umbrella. Mm hmm. Yes, we're working towards that. Yes. Very excited. Yes, and there must be an enormous amount of um, know-how and exchange of information with Mm. assistance dog charities of all types. Yes. Oh, yes, absolutely. And, you know, if you look at organisations like uh, like Dogs for Good, uh, Support Dogs, uh, Guide Dogs for the Blind, I mean, goodness me, Hearing Dogs, they've, you know, they've been 
doing this uh, job for years and they've developed practices and you know they're so supportive in 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 sort of sharing information about about um, where things work and where things perhaps don't work and sharing good practice and that's good because mm. in a sense the charity world charities are in a sense competing against each other for the donors pounds aren't yes there? we are and there yes. are you know it's one of those kind of oddities where you have many medical charities for example where if, if the pooling of resources and the having an overall umbrella organization or a bond is such a positive thing obviously we're competing for the charity pound mm. you know there's, there's there's no no denying that um but at the same time, we all share um, the frustration of of waiting lists that we can really never, yeah. uh, you know, manage to to, to 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 bring down. And that's obviously what we want to do moving forward and in the future. And you know, I, I've I've said it before that Dogs for Autism wants to be for the autistic uh, community what Guide Dogs is for the visually impaired there's no reason why we shouldn't be you know 350 people coming to a who who actively want to apply for a dog coming to an information day and 150 applications out of that um you know what we want to be able to do is fulfill more is fulfill look at those applications and you know hardly any of them went into the we don't think they're suitable pile most went into the these people are probably suitable we need to take this further pile and we want to be able to provide dogs to those people. And, and, and yes, uh, obviously we need the funding to do that and, 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 and all the charities need the funding to do that. But I think what we, what as a group of, of charities we, we want to do is, is really sort of educate uh, the general public about how, how incredibly important it can be to have an assistance dog for the right person. You know, it's not like having a pet, mm. you know, if so. So if you um, if you had a friend who needed an electronic wheelchair in order to access the community, you know, you would you would maybe help raise the money for that. OK, it's the same for a dog because it costs us as a charity. And we're not unusual in this, you know, around an upwards of 20,000 pounds per dog to, to run our charity, you know. Um, and uh, that's a fairly standard, if not low, estimate of, of, of what it costs for, for assistance dog charities. Um, but somebody can't, people can't walk up to us with a £20,000 cheque and say, can you train as an assistance dog? Because we, we don't work like that. But we do need um, to be able to train as many dogs as we possibly can. Well, Hilary, thank you so much for talking to us about uh, Dogs for Autism. It's um, been a massive pleasure to meet you. Yes, likewise. Thank <laughs> and, you, Kate. And um, thanks also for introducing Daisy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. Explore the treasured countryside around Petersfield with Susie Wilde and her Labrador, Rain. Rain and I have come up into the hangars. Bablet, come along. Good girl. Join me as I walk with my Labrador through our varied county. I'm looking at a really beautiful cloudless blue sky landscape is recollection too and i love to share that with you for a few minutes each week oh rain isn't this lovely what might it be Susie wilde's wild walks it went that way new every week from petersfield's shine radio and always online at shineradio.uk right come on then let's go